0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. Today, baseball back in the day. Ask a kid to name a Jewish baseball hero, and it's likely she'll answer Kevin Euclid, or if our theoretical young lady is thinking a little bit more historically, she'll probably say Sandy Koufax. But long before either of those two men put on a glove, there was Hank Greenberg. Hank Greenberg is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was named American League Most Valuable Player twice. He's one of the all-time greatest hitters that ever played baseball. And, like Sandy Koufax, he made headlines for sitting out a game that fell on Yom Kippur. For this and much else, Greenberg became a Jewish hero during a notoriously anti-Semitic period in American history. It was a role he accepted graciously, but with some measure of discomfort. Mark Kurlansky is a writer and journalist who's got a new biography out about Hank Greenberg. Kurlansky is joining us on the podcast today to talk about this baseball star. Mark Kurlansky, welcome to Vox Tablet. Hi. For those listeners out there who can really only come up with the fictional Mighty Casey when they think of baseball, will you tell us briefly who was Hank Greenberg? Hank Greenberg
1: was uh, a guy from the Bronx, the son of Jewish immigrants from Romania, from Romania. Uh, His parents were in the garment industry, which was the classic Jewish field of the time. They were Yiddish speakers. They were Orthodox practicing Jews. And he grew up in this Jewish world uh, practicing his swing in Cortona Park every day, dreaming that baseball would get him out of the shtetl into the broader world of America.
0: He started playing professional ball in the early 30s. Yes. Now, at that time, obviously, there was the rise of Nazism in Europe. There was Henry Ford in Michigan. What would it have been like to play baseball if you were a Jew in that period?
1: The 1930s was the most anti-Semitic period in American history. And Hank Greenberg became this superstar, possibly the most visible Jew in America. And so he was a target, this man who had left the Bronx and was trying to get away from the Jewish world became the symbol of Jewish America, both to anti-Semites who were constantly attacking him and to Jews who admired him for standing up to these attacks.
0: Can you give us a sense specifically of what kind of attacks he faced?
1: Well, every time uh, he came to bat... He was shouted at by fans, by the opposing team. He played first base, which in most ballparks was right next to the dugout for the opposing team. And they used to shout things at him, Uh, classically anti-Semitic things, Sheeney and Kike and Weird and ridiculous things about pork chops, and they they, they would shout "pants presser." Uh, I had a few pants pressers in my family. <laughs> I don't even know. What, I don't even know
0: what that means. I don't even understand <laughs> it's just that. People who worked in garments. Oh, you, know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, some of these things you wouldn't even think of as as pejoratives, except that they were clearly intended to be pejoratives. And uh, before baseball was integrated, and before there were black players, uh, he was the most noticeable example of a baseball player who had to face bigotry on the baseball field every day.
0: But you point out in the book, actually, he wasn't the only Jew in the league.
1: No, not at all. There had been many Jews before him, and there were many Jews who played at the same time as he did. He even had other Jews on his team. The Detroit Tigers had a Jewish pitcher. But he was a superstar. An incredible hitter who still holds some records, still holds the right handed RBI record and
0: RBI being read and spatted in for those people who don't know. <laughs> yes, sorry.
1: <laughs> and not only was he a star, but he was so totally contrary to the anti Semitic stereotype, which was that Jews were small and unathletic and weak. And he was huge. He was you know, one of the biggest people of his generation. He was six foot four uh, there are these uh, famous pictures of him on all-star teams where he's there with Joe DiMaggio and Lou Gehrig and Jimmy Fox and all these people. He was just standing next to Jimmy Fox. Jimmy Fox was a big, bulky power hitter. Who uh, didn't come up to his shoulders? (laughs) He just—he looked like he was photoshopped in. He was so much bigger than everybody else, and tremendously powerful, and a complete contradiction to the anti-Semitic stereotype of what a Jew was, which of course attracted a lot of heat, but also attracted a great affection among Jewish baseball fans, which there were many.
0: So, when slurs were tossed his way when he was on the first baseline, how did he react?
1: Well, it was an evolution. His initial reaction, being larger than everybody else, was to just belt them. And when he was in the minor leagues, uh, he often did that. And it was counterproductive. He could see that it was counterproductive because in an age in which baseball was largely relayed through sports writers, the next day's newspaper would be all about the fight with Hank Greenberg instead of about the game. So he could see that... uh, this wasn't going to work. And later on in his career in the majors, he would kind of uh, beat them up in private. <laughs> he uh, he once went to the White Sox uh, locker room and stared down the entire team. He once stared down the entire New York Yankees. I mean, nobody was going to mess with this guy. He was huge. <laughs> uh, but uh, in, in time, he realized that the best thing he could do was just ignore them. And... Uh, ironically, he had kind of an epiphany playing against Jackie Robinson in his last year in 1947, he was traded to Pittsburgh, which he was very unhappy about. And Pittsburgh was a last place, really bad team. And they played the Brooklyn Dodgers. So, uh, he was playing against, uh, Jackie Robinson and a lot of his teammates were shouting these racist things at, at Robinson and these were the same people who had shouted anti-Semitic things at him. And he started thinking about them and about how, what a great baseball player Jackie Robinson was and, and, and what bad players these guys were who were shouting these racist things. And he realized that these people are just stupid nobodies who aren't worth engaging with at all.
0: I did a little experiment this week. I asked my nephew, who's 15 years old, what he could tell me about Sandy Koufax versus what he could tell me about Hank Greenberg. And of course, he knew exactly who Koufax was, but he wrote this about Greenberg. I don't know a lot about him, but I do know that he was a real slugger. I think he had over 600 home runs. Now, for me, I was a baseball fan when I was a kid, Uh, Red Sox, and I had never even heard of Hank Greenberg until a few years ago. Yet, like my nephew, I knew exactly who Koufax was. I wonder why does Koufax's status as a Jewish hero endure and Greenberg seems to have fallen away so much?
1: Well, first of all, I want to say how happy I am to hear that you're a Red Sox fan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are, you? (laughs) Yes, I am. good. (laughs) Uh, I'm from
1: New England. Um, uh, Koufax, first of all, was more recent. He was the 60s instead of the 30s. And his experiences as a baseball player... Related more. I mean, I, I interviewed a lot of Jewish baseball players to ask them uh, about this, and, and all of them related much more to Koufax than to Greenberg. I mean, you know, all of the Ron Bloombergs and Art Shamskys and Sean Green and Kevin Euclid and all the many, many Jewish baseball players that have come in more modern times didn't have experiences like this this experience of being a constant target because you were Jewish. Uh, some black players did earlier on, but uh, Jews didn't. And uh, it's kind of uh, forgotten by Jews today and by baseball fans today what he endured and and this kind of remarkable story of his career.
0: So you mean in some ways because he was uh, so successful in an era that was so um – Unhappy for the Jews that it's become a kind of closed chapter?
1: Well, people have forgotten uh, what it was like in the 1930s. They've forgotten what a rabid anti-Semite Henry Ford was, that there was a Catholic priest named Father Coughlin who gave regular broadcasts that were extremely popular all over the country. Uh, in which he delivered anti-Semitic diatribes. Uh, People have forgotten how many people there were in the United States who supported Adolf Hitler and had rallies supporting Nazism. Uh, They've forgotten why uh, so many people in Hollywood who were Jewish changed their names. Uh, This is all forgotten history.
0: Of course, Greenberg also changed his name.
1: Greenberg did change his name a few times, actually. He was originally uh, Jaime Greenberg, and then when he entered baseball, he started being Hank or Henry. And then when he got to the majors, he noticed that uh, all of the other players on the uh, Tigers, on their luggage, had three initials, a first name, a middle name, and a last name, and he didn't have any middle name. So he stole his brother's name, Benjamin, and made Uh it his middle name, and he became Henry Benjamin Greenberg, which is what the plaque in the Hall of Fame says. uh, Nobody remembers that he was uh, Jaime Greenberg.
0: The mythology of Hank Greenberg has it that he didn't play on the high holidays in 1934. That's not really how it went down. Maybe you can tell us.
1: Well, it's funny because it it, it shaped his image for his entire life. In uh, 1934, the uh, Detroit Tigers were contending for the World Series, and they hadn't been a contending team in 25 years. And they put together this great team, and he was a key part of this great infield of which he was the first baseman, in which... uh, All of the players had played every game and had done great double plays and things, Charlie Geringer and a great infield, and and he was the cleanup batter, and they really needed him. He was really part of the equation that made this a great team, and they were in this tight pennant race. And along came Rosh Hashanah. And there was all this stuff in the press about will Hank Greenberg play in Rosh Hashanah. My my guess is that Hank Greenberg never thought about it because he didn't observe Rosh Hashanah. But you know they went and they consulted rabbis, the press, consulted rabbis, and all this back and forth on whether Hank should play on, on Rosh Hashanah, and he wanted to play on Rosh Hashanah because uh, uh, his team needed him, and he was very much a team player, and he did play. I'm sorry to tell you, against the Red Sox, <laughs> and, uh, uh, they beat the Red Sox two to one, and and both of their two runs were home runs by Greenberg. And this was covered as a very Jewish thing in Detroit. Uh, one paper said that uh, the swing of his bat was like the blast of a shofar, <laughs> and uh, uh, one Detroit paper ran a headline in Hebrew letters saying, La Shanatova Hank. Uh, which <laughs> you, you know, it amazing. you wouldn't think that a Detroit paper would even have that font in 1934, but they did, and uh. Then, of course, 10 days later was Yom Kippur, so then it became all about what is he going to do for Yom Kippur, and um, the deal was pretty much sealed when the New York Times went up to the Bronx and interviewed his parents, and his father said, my son would never play on Yom Kippur, poor Hank, you know, it's like, oh God, what am I going (laughs) to do? And uh, by then, they hadn't clinched the pennant, but they had it pretty much in the bag whether they won this game or not. So he he sat out the game and he went to shul, you know, probably the only time he ever went to synagogue in his entire adult life. And um, the Tigers lost the game, but they clinched the pennant. And it just became sort of the Jewish lure about Hank Greenberg reinforced the following year. When uh Yom Kippur fell during the World Series, and he was there was no way he wasn't going to play for the World Series, but he broke his wrist and he wasn't able to play and so this myth was created that Hank Greenberg was this observant Jew who would never play on the high holidays. He used to laugh and laugh about this <laughs> uh he he um w- was a totally unobservant Jew, didn't didn't even give a Jewish education to his kids, didn't believe in religion, thought religion was one of the great ills of the world. But there was this image of him from 1934 and 35, which lasts to this day of how he was an observant Jew and he respected the high holidays and, and would never, you know, that was Sandy Koufax. It was not Hank Greenberg. You know, Sandy Koufax, not playing on Yom Kippur, was a whole other story. I mean, because it was a World Series and he was in a rotation and he condensed the rotation. He played, you know, this is unbelievable today. He played every other game in the World Series and he threw complete games wow. and, and, and won three games in six days. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Was Hank Greenberg a hero of yours growing up?
1: No, not at all. Sandy Koufax was. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm not old enough to, to but Hank uh, uh, hey, Greenberg, admirer. I. Did this book for Yale University Press? Uh, they have this series called Jewish Lives, and they asked Jewish writers to write about Jewish biographies. And I had actually suggested writing something about Sandy Koufax, and they, uh, to their credit, suggested Hank Greenberg, who I didn't know that much about, but once I got into him, realized he was a much better story than Koufax. You know, I mean, just. The story of being a Jewish star in the 1930s, it's just an incredible story. And, you know, Hank Greenberg's whole life was about this question of how do you respond to bigotry when somebody says something, whether you happen to be from a minority group or not? What do you do when somebody says something incredibly racist? Do you belt them in the mouth? Do you walk out of the room? Do you reprimand them? Do you ignore it and walk away? Um... And his whole career was about making that decision day after day.
0: Mark Kurlansky, thank you so much for speaking with us. My pleasure. Mark Kurlansky is the author of 22 books, including Cod, Salt, and now Hank Greenberg, The Hero Who Didn't Want to Be One. It's just out from Yale University Press. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Thank you so much for joining us. Please join us again next time.